Welcome to Tuned to Yesterday, broadcasting programs from the golden age of radio. I'm your host, Mark Livonier, bringing you sci-fi in this hour. Later on, a futuristic tale on the mysterious traveler from 1950. But right now, it's L. Ron Hubbard's The Professor Was a Thief, featured on Dimension X. This episode first heard on NBC on the 5th of November, 1950. Adventures in Time and Space, transcribed in future... Can you predict what will come in 100 years, or in 10, or in the next minute? Can you see beyond the known dimensions of time and space into the unknown dimension X? Today we tell you a story of America's largest city, a story that began in the bustling city room of a New York metropolitan jail. Citizens, Sweeney. Give me a rewrite, quick. I'll take it. Okay, now look. I'm up on the other side drive, see? So? So, at 12.45 today, just three minutes ago, Grant's tomb disappeared. It's what? I'm telling you, it disappeared. It's gone. Listen, Sweeney, get yourself to a Turkish bath. Sober up. Pop, I swear, I'm sober as a judge. Listen to me, will you? Just a minute. Albert. What's up, Pop? Call the Honda's detective precinct. Find out if anything's been reported missing. Like what? Like Grant's tomb. Go on, make it snappy. Okay, Pop. All right, Trini, now give it to me slow. This better not be a gag. No gag, Pop. Now get it down. The traffic at the drive was at its noon hour peak, and the benches and structure were filled with happy laughing people. Men without a warning, a rumble sounded in the alarm, populous water was horrible. Hold it, Trini. Well, Albert? I don't get it. They say that... That... That Grant's tomb is gone. Okay, call composing. Tell him to hold everything for an extra. Tear out page one. Get going. Okay, Sweeney, now. The heck with the words, give me the garbage. What happened? Nobody knows. There are half a dozen police cars around here staring at the place where Grant's tomb was. I was about a block away. I heard screams. I came running. It was gone. Vanished. How many dead? Nobody knows if anybody is dead. I'll find out. How can I find out? When everybody was sitting on the steps and all disappeared. What? It's gone. Nobody? No Okay, you hoof it back up there and get stories from some witnesses. Now call me back. Albert! Yes, Pop? Get Columbia University on the phone and get a statement. Right. Research! Yes, sir. Grab an encyclopedia, see if anything like this ever happened before. Hey, Walters! Yeah, Pop? Call the army, find out about secret weapons. Right. <sighs> Hello, composing. This is Pop Atterby on the city desk. Start setting up an extra. I want to hit the street in 20 minutes. Second extra in an hour with pictures. Okay, what are you waiting for? Get them rolling. Pop? Uh, Pop. Oh, I'm busy, Albert. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Pop, uh, Mr. Colborn wants to see you. Toronto. Tell him I'm busy. Well, he... He says to come now. Oh, of all the flat-headed publishers to saddle a newspaper with. Okay. Sweeney calls. Switch it to Colburn's office. Okay, Pop. Come in. Listen, Mr. Colburn, I'm very busy now. There's an extra on the rollers and... I know. I just called composing and ordered them to stop it. To stop it? Are you... Gotta be... You've been on the city desk of the Herald for 25 years now. Since when do you waste thousands of dollars on an April Fool issue? April Fool? Listen, Grant's tomb is missing. Is that a story, or am I dead from the neck up? Did you check it? Yes, and Sweeney... How do you know it's true? Well, if you... What do you mean spreading cold terror all over town? But Sweeney... The devil with Sweeney. How do you know it isn't just a hallucination? Mass hypnotism, something like that. Well, what if it is? Atterby... If this is a farce, we'll be in Dutch, but good. Civil suits, criminal action. We're the only paper in town on the streets with an extra. The other editors don't believe this story for one instant. It takes guts to run a paper. Well, if that's what it takes, you've got too many. You took the authority for this without even trying to find me and get an okay. Your father-in-law knew a story has to run while it's hot. All right. You ran this while it was so hot, our first ten papers drove the city into a panic. How do we know this whole thing isn't a big... Hello. Now there's Corborn. Yes, he's here. 
It what? Oh, well, that's fine. That's fine and dandy. You're fired! It's your star reporter, Mr. Sweeney, formerly of the Herald. Formerly? Give me that phone. Hello, Sweeney. Uh, Did you get the pictures? How are things up uh, there? Uh, I'll need more witnesses. Uh, what? It's back. Fine, fine. What did you say? It's back. Grant's tomb is back. I'm sorry. You're sorry. All right, golden boy. Now give it to me slow. Make it sound intelligent. It, it just reappeared, that's all. What about the people who were inside? All back. Don't remember a thing. It's just like it never happened at all. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. We got an extra on the streets with 28 types screaming that Grant's tomb has vanished, and you calmly called me up to tell me that it's back. But it was gone. I tell you, Pop. Sweeney, what? do me a favor, will you? Yeah, what? Drop dead. Well, that'll be. Uh, guess we run our attraction. Just doesn't make sense. Twelve police cars saw it. We've got statements from witnesses. I told you it was hysteria. Look at the man from Mars broadcast that Orson Welles did. A thousand people will swear they saw the monsters. Oh, I don't know. I'm all confused. Well, let's look at it this way, Atterby. Maybe you've had enough. Enough what? You've been on the city desk 25 years now. That makes you, uh, let me see, 55? 54. What are you driving at, Mr. Colby? I mean, maybe you ought to retire. Retire? We need new people, new ideas. I've been thinking about it for some time now. With uh, Social Security, you'd get... About uh, 20 bucks. Fine. Now, you listen. I brought this paper into the world, and it's going to take me out. I was on that city desk before you ever heard of a stick of type. Then you come along and marry a publisher's daughter That's and... enough. I made a mistake, okay. Anybody can make a mistake. I still think there's something in this story. Sweeney's been around too long to blow one like this. Even when he's drunk, he's a better newspaper man than most... I'm of... sorry. Effective today, you're relieved as city editor. Sanford will take over. Sanford? Why, he's green as grass. If you want to stay on in some minor jobs... Such as? Well, how about science editor? Science editor. <laughs> you can have the office right next to mm. mine. It'll pay the rent. Well? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. Been on the city desk so long. Well, maybe it's too much excitement for a man your age. Stop writing me off, will you? I'm sick. I'm... <clears throat> 54. And a man at 54... He's no longer a boy. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I am losing my grip. Got to go somewhere and think it over. All right, Atterby. Take your time. I'll be across the street at Burley's Bar if you need me. I'll let you know before the bulldog hits the streets. <laughs> It's a solemn occasion, Burley. Call the hemlock. What's the occasion, Pop? Yeah, I am now a husband. No. Yeah, reduced. Humiliated. You, Pop? Never. Meet the new science editor of the Sunday Supplement, me. <laughs> know as much about science as J.P. Morgan knows about sharecropping. <laughs> what happened? Who did it? You familiar with a reporter named Aloysius John Sweeney? Yep. Former friend and drinking companion of mine? Sweeney got you busted? The same. Wow. If that gentleman should ever, by some misbegotten chance, thrust his head into this bar, Burley, my friend, I personally, with these two bare hands... Hey, Pop! Pop! Uh-oh! Hey! Pop, Pop, it's me. I shall control my homicidal instinct. Listen, Pop, I just came down from Riverside Drive. Very daring move, Sweeney. I brought a guy with me. It won't help, Sweeney. Pop, you don't understand. I found a little guy in a swallowtail coat who watched this whole thing happen. Pop. Burley! Burley! Quiet! Quiet, everybody! Shh! Quiet! Quiet, will you? How do you do? Gentlemen? I can assure you my small stature belies the magnitude of my abilities. 
What did you bring him for, Sweeney? He's a genius, Papa. Full-time genius. You betrayed me once, Sweeney. Isn't that enough? Take your little man away and don't bother me. Your friend isn't very polite, Mr. Sweeney. Perhaps one day he will learn that even the most insignificant man has a sense of dignity and personal worth. I apologize, Professor. I'm not sorry at you. It's your tomato-headed friend here. Sweeney, I ought to kill you. I ought to strangle you with my bare hands. I ought to have you run through a rotary press at low speed. Those things are too good for you. But, Papa, look, I'm trying to tell you. The story ain't phony. It happened. Mr. Pert, we... Hannibal, tell him about it. Gladly. My contribution has been awaiting worldwide recognition for many years now. Unfortunately, there are some who insist I am insane. Fancy that. Yeah. Being small of stature, as you can see, I chose to nurse my resentment rather than to take positive measures. However, I feel now the world is ready to come to terms with Hannibal Pertwee. Uh, can you or can you not explain this Grant's tomb business? Naturally. What? It can all be explained quite simply in terms of the Pertwee system of infinite acceleration and transportational facilitation as applied to freightage. I've been trying to sell it to the railroads for ten years. Yeah. Didn't I tell you he was a genius, Pop? Hey, the check. Oh, now, wait a minute, Pop. Give him a chance. Show him the trains, Hannibal. Oh, yes, the trains. If you gentlemen will gather around the suitcase... Come on, I want you to see them. I'm telling you. Come on. As you can see, I have in this suitcase a complete model railroad reduced to the size of a cigar box. Observe. That's enough, I think. They run! Just like real trains! Sweeney, not content with ruining my life, losing me my job, driving me to alcohol, you're now trying to drive me out of my mind with an obvious madman who builds model railroads. Here's the money, Bertie. Keep the change. Oh, but, Pop, Goodbye, look. gentlemen. Pop, you're not even giving them a chance. Out of my way. Listen, Pop, Out please. of my way. It's always the same. They won't listen to me. Oh, I guess Pop is losing his grip. I hate them. No, don't take it so hard, Hannibal. Maybe it was all a hallucination. The Pertwee theory is not an hallucination. Sure, sure, sure. Well, it was a good try anyway. I guess I'll go back to the office and pick up my stuff. But I'll show them. Someday they'll listen. Sure, sure. You'll show them, Hannibal. Hey, Burley, fix Professor Pertwee here with a double scotch. Go ahead, make it a triple. The newest use of the isotope will enable medical experts to trace with accuracy the growth of... Oh, nuts. Maybe it's better to be unemployed. Science editor speaking. Huh? Yeah. Sweeney, listen, I got a story. I thought Carl Burn canned you. That can't fire me. Listen, you know Burley's Bar? Does DiMaggio know Yankee Stadium? What about Burley's Bar? It's gone. Oh, sweet. On the level, Pop, just a few seconds ago. Take a look. Sweeney, I warn you. Take a look, take a look. Okay, Sweeney, hang on. Albert? Yes, Pop? Do me a favor. Stick your head out of that window and tell me if anything unusual is going on at Burley's Corner. Okay, Pop. Holy jumping catfish! Huh? It's gone. Come here and look. Well, I'll be a monkey. Where's Colburn? He went to a polo match out on Long Island. Who's on the city desk? Young Stan? Come on. Uh, City desk. Okay, I'll give it to rewrite. Just a second. City desk. What? Are you nuts? What? Everybody listen to this, will you? It's Martinson down at 34th Street. He says the Empire State Building has disappeared. Can you feature that? What are you going to do about it? Do? Am I supposed to do something? He's gone nuts. Give me that phone. Hey, let's... Give me that phone. Hello, Marty. This is Pop. Oh, 
Never mind what happened. Well, I'm down at the precinct. Five minutes ago, a cop staggered in. It's gone, he says. What's gone, they say? The Empire State, he says. Well, I figured I better call him. Okay, get down there and get the details. In case you need to convince him, Burley's bar went just before you called. Holy mackerel, what a catastrophe that is. Okay, Pop, I'll call you. Look at the skyline. The Empire State isn't there. Well, no, no. Don't get panicky. Don't get panicky. It may come back just like Grand's tomb. Uh, okay, Pop. Uh, you'll take over, won't you? I'm kind of shaky. Will I? I'll show you fledglings how to run a newspaper together. Wallace? Yeah, Pop. Get a camera down to Empire Station. Right. What a story. Call the mayor, Albert. Tell him what he ask what he intends to do. Check, check. Where's the research department? Right here, sir. Columbia University says it's mass hypnotism. Tell him to... No. Now, dress it up and shoot it down. Yes, sir. Research? Wait a minute. Yes, sir. Find out how many people are usually in the Empire State. Yes, sir. No, and don't try to call the Empire State to find out. No. No, it isn't there. <laughs> City death. So... Walter, listen. I'm dead sober, see? Yeah, the garbage, Frankie, the garbage. Remember, I'm sober. S isn't sober, O Come on, sober. come on, what happened? Uh, help me, Pop. Penn Station just disappeared. Vanished. Thin air. Jumping turtles. The people do? People train for the works. I'm telling you, there's a hole a block wide. I was lucky I was only a block away. You saw it? I witnessed. Oh, bless you, my boy, talk. There was a rumble, see? A kind of electrical hum in the air. And all of a sudden, the station seemed to cave in on itself. Wango. Nothing. Any statement? No, but you ought to see the hall. Oh, get statements, Flathead. Where are you now? I'm over at the post office right across the street from that. Hello. Hello. Hello, Frankie. Frankie, operator. Pop, Pop, we got a flash. The United States Post Office just went... The whole darn city is going piece by piece. Don't lose your head, Albert. Hello. This is the composing room about that Empire State building story. Well, it, it's all news. We've just lost Penn Station in the post office. Get out a new banner head. New York City vanishing. What about copy? You don't need copy for a story like this. Tell that liner type operator to use imagination. Albert. What? Anything else missing? Chrysler building, maybe? <laughs> Nothing yet, Pop. Oh. Anything reappeared yet? No word on anything. Maybe things are stabilizing. Call composing. Tell him to start rolling. Right, Pop. And find Sweeney. Tell the phone from downstairs a while ago. I forgot all about him. Mm -hmm. Tell him he's hired again. I'll print any statement that isn't immoral. Uh-oh, Pop. Here comes Mr. Trouble. Oh, now, take it easy, Colbin. Adderby, what are you doing at the city desk? Where's Sanborn? What's going on here, anyway? Has everyone gone out of his mind? Listen, the Empire State, the Penn Station, and the post office have all been missing for almost five minutes. Get away from that desk, you. Drop that telephone. Listen. I don't care if Washington, D.C. has been bombed by the Martians. I want you out of this office in two minutes. Albert, cast those extras. Pop, you get out your fire. Oh, you're not being reasonable. I'm not interested in the other papers. Just get out of here before I go stark raving mad. <laughs> Pop! Hey, Pop! Oh, hello, Sweeney. Where have you been? I've been trying to make up my mind whether to come up or not. When you left me hanging on the phone, I thought you was insulting me. I... Hey, how come you aren't on the desk? Oh, I'm canned. Can... Are you kidding? Oh, it's been coming. I really had the place jumping. You should have seen me, Sweeney. It was like the San Francisco earthquake. Oh, I need a drink. How about... Oh, keep forgetting... Isn't any Burleys anymore? No. Just a big hole in the ground. Let's walk over. I want to browse around. Oh, uh, Pop, there's nothing to see. Well, let's take a snoop anyway. Just for old time's sake. Well, okay, Pop, let's cross. We got the light. Well, will you look at that? Who'd ever thought that less than ten minutes ago there was a building here? Yeah. Let's climb down and have a look, Sweeney. Well, okay, but I don't see what you expect to... Ah, ooh, my ankle. Ooh. Easy, uh, easy. Clean as a bone. Well, let's walk around a bit. 
See anything? No, just rock. Pieces of the foundation. I'll bet you the... Pop, wait a minute. What? Will you look at this? So small, I almost missed it. I'd be a son of a... A perfect scale model of Burley's. Less than four inches tall. What do you suppose this is doing here? I don't know. Can I help you, gentlemen? Pertwee. What are you doing down here? I'm looking for my model. Thank you for finding it. Oh, this is yours, is it? Certainly. Now, if you'll be kind enough to hand it to me, I'll just put it back in my suitcase. Uh, you better give it to him, Pop. All right. Thank you. There we are. Thank you, gentlemen. I thought you just went in for model trains. I have always been preoccupied with tiny things, but lately I've been branching out. Well, I really must be going. Thank you very much. Uh, he's as loony as a bat. Ah, the geniuses are all crazy. I read it in a book. Sweeney, you get a look in that suitcase. Hmm? Sure, I've seen it when he opened it in the bar this morning. I mean just now. Oh, why? This morning when he opened his suitcase, he had a little round tube and a set of model trains in it. Nothing else. So? This time he had three other models. So what? Nothing. Except they happened to be models of the Empire State, Penn Station, and the United States Post Office. There he goes down the block, Pop. Bertway! Bertway, come back here! He's starting to run. Here, here, here's a cab. Come on. What to, Mike? Catch up with that little guy running down on the block. Make it fast. Okay, Mike. There he is. Hold it, Cabby, hold it. Come on, Sweeney. Hey, how about my dog? Hey, you bum! Stop, gentlemen. Stop, I warn you. Hey, Pop. He's got that little tube out of his suitcase. He's pointing. Grab him, Sweeney. All right, give me that thing. Let go my arm. Give it to me. There. Ah, there. I warn you. Never mind the warnings. Just you come along with us. We're going to have a little talk. Take him up to the office, Sweeney. Pop. What? Where's the taxi? What? The taxi. If you look at the curb, you'll find your taxi. Jumping saints. Pop, look at it. Now, gentlemen, perhaps the world will believe in the validity of the Pertwee system of infinite acceleration. All right, Hannibal, now you start talking. I won't. Hold his hand, Sweeney. That's a pleasure. Well, Hannibal? Let me out of this office. Talk. Never. Sweeney, where's the tube? It's right here, Pop. Now, Hannibal, I give you five seconds to talk, after which I'm turning this tube on you for a taste of your own medicine. Now, think it over. One. Two. No. Three. I hate them. Why should I save them? Four. All right. Put it away, please. That's better. Now, how did you do it? Many years ago, Einstein posed the theory that if an object were sufficiently accelerated, it would gradually flatten out and eventually disappear altogether. Working on this approach, I evolved a method of accelerating the atoms within the molecules, setting an object spinning in four rather than three dimensions. For many years, I tried to sell my idea to the railroad for condensing freight and storage. And you start the thing spinning with this little tube? The tube sends out a whirling ring of electrons which engulf the object. Why did you turn it on those buildings? I was driven to it. Only something dramatic could shock the world into realizing my greatness. But you'll restore them. You brought back Grant's tomb. I can restore them, yes. Not can, Hannibal. Will. On one condition. Well? That your paper give me full credit for my scientific achievement. Front page, pictures, a complete story. It's a deal. Oh, wait a minute, Pop. We don't even work for this paper anymore, remember? Uh, uh, we'll take care of that little matter, Sweeney. Mr. Coleman, this is Pop Atterby. You've just rehired me. Now, if you'd care to step down the hall into my new office, I think I can show you something make your hair stand on end. I have three missing buildings in my desk drawer. Well? <laughs> he's on fire. <laughs> Says he's coming down here to have me committed to an institution. Fine. All right, Atterby. All right. What's going on here? I fired you. I ordered you off these premises. If this is a joke, well, I... Well, Mr. Colburn, you see these models? What about them? 
What would you say if I were to tell you that these five-inch models are actually the Empire State, Penn Station, the United States Post Office, and Burley's Bar, and a taxicab, all compressed 500 times, that there are people in them so tiny they can't see them, that even time is so compressed inside these buildings that movement is impossible? This is insanity. Who is this man? I, I Sit don't... down, Carbon. The show hasn't even started yet. Sweeney, mm. put the taxi cab out in the middle of the floor. Okay, Pop. Now, stand back. Hannibal, here's the tube. Now, do your stuff. Stand back. Now. Good Lord. I don't believe it. It's getting bigger. I reversed the polarity of the spin very gradually. What's the idea blocking Trappy, you lousy bum? Hey, where am I? Hey, what happened? How did my cab get in this office? Take it easy, George. What is this? Who are you? Hey, ain't you the fat that skipped out on me? Hey, what is this, a bug house? Well, Mr. Colburn? I, I, I don't understand. But you do believe. Well, yes, yes, I saw it right before my eyes. Okay, well, then here's the deal. You give our boy Hannibal a front-page spread with pictures. He'll take these other buildings back to the original sites and restore them just like they were, with our cameras getting exclusive shots. Now, is it a bargain? Is it a bargain? I may not be the best newspaper man in the world, but this is the biggest thing since Noah's Ark. You're rehired as city editor at your old salary. My old salary? All right, all right, plus a 500 bonus. Ah, there's a deal. Sweetie, call composing. Tell them to double the size of the front page. Have them hold it for a red banner full-page headline. Got that? Right. Hello, Albert. This is Pop. Listen, I want all photographers up in my office right away. Call research. Tell that girl to have Columbia send a battery of big shots over to the former site of Penn Station. Copy, copy, hey, copy, boy! Hey, Mike. I'm busy, George. Sweeney, what's the word? Mustap. All right, all right, what is it? All I want to know is, how do I get my hack out of this office? You have just heard another adventure in time, space, and the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. Dimension X, on Tuned to Yesterday from November 5th, 1950 on NBC. The printed and first appearance of that story was an astounding science fiction magazine in February of 1940, and from April to June of that year, Hubbard's three-parter The Final Blackout was featured, and notably his next story to be in a magazine was in the same month, June of 1940, an unknown fantasy fiction called The Kraken, which he released under the pen name Frederick Engelhart. You're listening to an hour of science fiction on Tuned to Yesterday. I'm your host, Mark Livonier. Now time for The Mysterious Traveler, with an original story written exclusively for the show called Operation Tomorrow, from April 11, 1950, on the Mutual Network. Mysterious Traveler, written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan, and starring tonight two of radio's foremost actors, Leon Janney and Charlotte Holland, in Operation Tomorrow. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip. And it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can, as we journey with a young scientist into the unknown future. It's a story I call Operation Tomorrow. My story begins in a scientific laboratory cut out of the solid rock many feet beneath New York's City University. Amidst a maze of electronic apparatus, Professor Wilbur Malcolm, a middle-aged pipe-smoking man, is making methodical tests, aided by his new assistant, Fred Andrews. The main output coils seem to be working the way they should. You ready at the meters, Fred? Yes, Professor. 
But I wish I knew what we were doing. You will in a few seconds, my boy. Now, wind up that alarm clock and put it here on this lead table in the center of the magnetic field. This old alarm clock? Yes. There. All right, it's in the magnetic field. Now what? Now I'm going to turn on the current. You give me the readings as we go along. Right, sir. Here we go. Readings, please. 1,000 volts positive main output tube. 1,500. 2,000. 3. 4. 5. 6. 7. 8,000. 9. 10,000. All right. We've reached critical voltage. Now watch the clock closely, Fred. The clock? Yes, sir. Why, it's getting a little hazy. Hard to see. Now it's transparent, as if it were made of glass. What is this, Professor? Patience, my boy. Watch and observe. That's the scientist's motto. Well, the tick is getting fainter. Fading out. The clock is disappearing. Professor, the clock has vanished. So it has. Gone completely. But, but where? Don't tell me you've discovered the secret of invisibility. Oh, something bigger than that, Fred. But watch now. I'm going to cut off the alpha tubes. Now I'll cut in the beta tubes. That will give us a negative charge and reverse the magnetic field. Ready, Fred? Yes, sir. Here we go. Readings, please. 2,000 volts negative. 3,000 negative. 4,000. 5. 6. 7. 8. 9. 10,000 volts negative. Good. I'm holding the field at 10,000. Now watch where the clock was. I'm watching, sir. Good Lord. I, I see a, a ghost of a clock there. Just a misty outline. Now it's becoming clearer and clearer. It's transparent. Now it's almost solid. Why, I can hear it ticking again. And there it's back. Oh. Yes, Fred. The clock is back. And as you can hear, still in good working order. But where was it? Where did it go? Where did it go? It went into the future. Into the future? Yes, my boy. That clock has just penetrated approximately one year into the future. You've witnessed the first demonstration of something that up to now has always been considered a fantastic dream. Time travel. Good Lord. Ah, that's enough for today. You're coming home with me, Fred, while I tell you my plans. How did you stumble onto this time travel effect, sir? Well, it came about almost by sheer accident. My main purpose, which is a top-secret operation, is to develop electronic controls for atomic spaceships. You mean they've been developed? Oh, no, not yet. But it shouldn't be long now. Science is making incredibly rapid advances. And sometimes it worries me. When you travel so fast, there's danger of a collision. Yes, I know. We're all of us worried that the world is headed for a gigantic disaster, but there doesn't seem to be anything we can do about it. Perhaps there is. That's what I've been working around to tell you, Fred. This time travel effect that I stumbled on accidentally, I've kept it a secret. You're the only person besides myself to know about it. I'm very flattered, sir. Well, I know I can trust you. And I need your help. I'm not sure we're really ready for time travel. As we were just saying, we're going so fast now, so many new discoveries that we don't know how to handle for the world's good. I hesitate to add one more to the list. I think I understand. But on the other hand, maybe it can be used for mankind's benefit. I have a wild scheme, Fred. Very unscientific. I propose to send you in a little jaunt into the future. Into the future? Yes. I want you to bring back information. I want to find out what's in store for us mortals of the 20th century, Fred. If it's bad, war, perhaps. Just knowing about it in advance may make it possible to prevent it. Do you follow me? Huh. It would be like knowing in advance about a train wreck and then seeing that it doesn't happen. I knew you'd understand. 
That's why I sent for you. As soon as we've completed our tests, I propose to send you through time 100 years into the future. For days and weeks, Fred Andrews and Professor Malcolm experimented until they were sure it would be possible to send a human being into the future and bring him back safely. At last, they were ready for the big test for the actual transmission of Fred himself through time. Professor, I'm all ready. Why are you hesitating? Well, Fred, as we've been working, suspicion has been growing in my mind. What suspicion, sir? I don't think this is going to work. But professor, we've sent dozens of objects into the future and brought them back. Even live animals, cats, dogs. Yes, but we've never brought back an object from the future itself. I mean, one we didn't send there. No, that's true. I but... wonder if... Well, no matter, we'll see. Now, remember, gather all the information you can and get back to this spot six hours from now. I'll activate the return field then and bring you back to 1950. Yes, sir, I'll do my best. I guess that's all. Good luck, my boy. Thank you, sir. 5,000 volts positive. 6,000 volts. How do you feel? I feel fine, Professor. 8,000 volts. Fine. 10,000. Critical voltage. You're beginning to move forward into time. You're getting transparent now. Can you hear me? Yes, Professor Malcolm. I can hear you. But you sound very far away. I can't see you any longer. I seem to be in the middle of a fog or mist. Now I'm just surrounded by blackness. I can't hear or see anything. He's gone. Pray heaven he comes back safely. <laughs> For a long moment, Fred Andrews felt as if he was spinning dizzily through empty darkness. Then the feeling passed, and he cautiously opened his eyes to find himself standing in an empty room, the laboratory which he had just left a hundred years ago. Unsteadily, he crossed the room and, with difficulty, opened the door. Then he gasped. Outside was a maze of corridors and stairways, brilliantly lighted, as if a whole city had been carved out of the rock of Manhattan Island. As he stood there, someone came walking swiftly past him, an attractive girl in full military uniform. I, I, I beg your pardon. Yes? But uh, can, can you What are you doing me... here? Uh, this section is forbidden to civilians. Forbidden to civilians? I, I, I don't get it. How did you get past the guards? Where are your identification papers? Ident... No, 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 wait a minute. Since when does an American citizen have to carry identification papers? Ever since the war started, as huh? you know quite well. Put up your hands. A gun? No, no, no. Look, miss, you, you don't have to threaten me. I'm harmless. Stand still. I want to see if you're carrying a weapon. Well, satisfied? The only weapon I have is a fountain pen. What's your name? Frederick Andrews, Ph.D. Your draft card, please. Draft card? Look, what's all this about? War, draft card, identification papers... All these tunnels that have been dug down here. I'm a stranger here. I don't know what you're up to, but no one can be that ignorant. You're coming along with me to see Colonel Phillips. Colonel Phillips? He's the security officer for this sector, and I certainly hope you have a good story to tell him. So your story, Mr. Andrews, is that you've come here from the year 1950. You must realize it's a very unconvincing tale. Completely unconvincing, in my opinion, Colonel. Well, it's the only story I have. I was born in 1923. And in 1950, Professor Wilbur Malcolm of City University sent me into the future. Now I'm here and, uh... Oh, I forgot to ask the date. It's April 10th, 2050. Exactly 100 years. Professor Malcolm's calculations were accurate to almost the minute. Colonel, in my opinion, this man is a very clever spy. Spy? But, well, look at that stuff you took from my pockets. The, the, the notebook, fountain pen, my driver's license, dated 1950. Those coins and bills, the, the, the cigarettes. 
Surely they convince you I came from a hundred years ago. I think we can settle the question, Mr. Andrews. Our technical department can tell whether this currency is genuine and approximately how old it is. Lieutenant French, send all these things by pneumatic tube to the technical department. Ask them for an immediate report. Also ask them if there is any record of a Professor Malcolm or an assistant named Frederick Andrews at City University in 1950. Yes, sir, right away. I'll have a report for you in half an hour. When the report comes, Mr. Andrews, I'll know how to handle your case. If you are a spy, you know the penalty. Well, I'm not worried, Colonel. Now, may I ask a few questions? Are you at war? We are indeed at war. And these miles of tunnels I saw, carved out of the solid rock. This city has retreated underground, Mr. Andrews. No one lives on the surface now. Good Lord. How long has the war been going on? We have been at war, Mr. Andrews. Off and on, of course, with periods in between in which both sides have rested up for 95 years. Well, a visitor at last. Hello, Lieutenant French. I'm sorry, Mr. Andrews, that we had to keep you locked up until you were cleared. Does that mean you believe my story now? Technical division says your story is true. I'm free now? Uh, well, not exactly, Mr. Andrews. This is the military sector, and you're a civilian. But I am to be your guide for the time being. Good. Then, uh, suppose I call you Emily, and you call me Fred. Hmm? All right, Fred. There's a great deal I want to see and learn before I go back to 1950. Go back? Hmm. You mean you can return? Of course. Professor Malcolm will turn on his gadgets to bring me back at 4 o'clock. That's only three hours. I'll have to report this to Colonel Phillips. Um, after I've reported, uh, what would you like to do? I'm anxious to see what's going on. And I'd like to collect a number of books with the latest scientific and historical data to take back with me. Yes, all right. I'll phone the Colonel. Then I'll show you around. Fred, here's the plotting room for the flying bomb attack. Good Lord, it's as big as a theater. And as dark. What's that big board with lights on it? That's the chart board which records every flying bomb within a thousand miles of American territory. Self-guided missile entering detection net over Greenland. General course south, southwest. I have it plotted. Send up interceptor rockets when it reaches zone four. Yes, sir. Rockets 34 and 35 successfully intercepted at defense zone four. Now you see, Fred, two lights just went out. That means we sent up destroyer rockets, which brought the bomb down. Rocket bombs 29 and 31 have eluded interception at zone 3. Interception salvo at zone 2. If they penetrate, use interceptor L-100 at zone 1. L-100 is our new top-secret interceptor, Fred. Hardly anyone knows how it works, but it never fails. Four more lights went out then. Mm-hmm, and here comes the report. Last four rockets successfully intercepted. Roger. Well, Fred... What do you think of modern Rocket warfare? Rocket 25 oh, has penetrated zone 2. Horrifying. Interceptor and L-100 everybody is being launched now. Seems to take it so calmly. <laughs> you can't get excited when a thing has lasted for almost 100 years on and off. That light. Hmm? Number 25. It's still on and moving. But it should have been destroyed by now. Do you suppose... Rocket number 25 has eluded interceptor attack by L-100. It has, but it can't have... Report on 25, please. Detection base 103 reports number 25, apparently new type rocket, non-metallic construction, able to baffle sighting mechanism of L-100. Order technical crew to search for fragments after the hit. Send general warning to eastern seaboard area. Uh, give plotted strike prediction. Very good, sir. All personnel in eastern district. All personnel. Bomb strike due in 10 seconds. Battery area... Bomb strike due in five seconds, four seconds. Bomb strike due in three seconds, two seconds, one second. All personnel, bomb strike over. All right, Fred. I'll take you to the viewing room next. And you can see for yourself what this city looks like in the year 2050. Lieutenant French reporting back with Mr. Andrews, sir. Very good, Lieutenant. Well, Mr. Andrews, have a good look around. Uh, yes, sir. 
I saw the city through the television viewing screens. Not quite the city you left, is it? it it's unbelievable. Just acres of twisted steel and fallen stone. The skeletons of giant buildings lying across one another. Rusting. It's like the end of the world. Not quite. Perhaps not even the end of civilization. Man is an adaptable creature. Hmm. But are we winning, sir? Nobody wins a war anymore, Mr. Andrews. We're holding our own, and we hope when the end comes, there will be peace on Earth forever. But how did it start, sir? We were trying so hard to prevent war back in 1950. In fact, one reason for my trip into time was to get information that might help us keep war from breaking out. Lieutenant French, why didn't we think of that? Think of what, sir? If the world of 1950 knows the truth, maybe it won't happen. Either they can prevent the accident that started all this back in 1955, or at least they'll know the truth when it does happen. Of course, sir. Mr. Andrews can take the true story back with him. What story? I, I don't follow you. Fred, you asked how the war started. Yes. It started because of an accident and an over-jittery world. Yes, my boy, a horrible irony. Fred, now listen. During the 1950s, the government established a special experimental base in the heart of the Arizona desert in a little town called Red Rock. The first space rocket was put into production there, and work was pushed on the problem of fuel. During the course of experiments, an explosion occurred late in 1955. It was a terrific blast. Wiped out the whole base. The first reports were sabotaged that the enemy had blown up the base because they were afraid we were on the verge of getting space flight. Before the truth became known, our newspapers screamed for retaliation. The enemy became panicky and decided to strike first. And phase one of the war was on. When we discovered the blast was really an accident, it was too late to stop. That's horrible, sir. War, because everybody was just too jittery. But it doesn't have to be. Don't you see, if you take back the true story before it happens, it won't have to happen. Now look, I've assembled a dozen books for you. The information in them will enable your scientists to prevent that blast at Red Rock Base. Now, Fred, you, you've got to get the facts back to them. You've just got to. I will. Believe me, Professor Malcolm and I will see to it this war doesn't start in our time. Good. Now come along. You've only five minutes more. <laughs> This is the exact spot where I was lying when I came through the time dimension, Colonel Phillips. You've only 30 seconds more, Andrews. Remember, impress the lesson of the accident at Red Rock on the world. These books, hold them close to you so they'll go back with you. Yes, sir. I've got a good grip on them. Fred. Yes, Emily? Uh, just good luck. Thanks. Maybe I'll pay another trip to 2050. I hope so. It's 1600, and Professor Malcolm is on time... Look, Colonel. He's getting transparent. He's disappearing. Goodbye, Emily. I guess this is it. Hope to see you again sometime. But, sir, the books, they aren't disappearing. They're just as solid as ever. Fred! Fred! What? <laughs> I, I can hardly hear you. Everything's gray and misty. Are you still there? Emily, are you still there? The books, Fred! Fred, the book! Andrews, you're going back with the books! They're sitting here! He's appearing. He's returning. Thank heaven he's safe. Fred, Fred, my boy. What's the matter? You're staring at me as if you didn't know me. Here, Fred, let me help you up. It's I, Professor Malcolm. Professor Malcolm? Yes, yes. Don't tell me you don't remember. Professor Malcolm? Yes, yes, Fred. What's the matter? Oh, my, my head feels so funny. I can't seem to remember who you are or what's happened to me. What am I doing here? Well, Fred, how are you? Oh, Professor Malcolm, it's good to see you, sir. I can't tell you how I've been blaming myself ever since the experiment. Oh, nonsense. I haven't suffered any harm. Just a blank place in my mind. I can't understand it. Do you suppose the experiment failed? You were gone for six hours somewhere. That's all I know, Fred. If you did get to 2050, Fred... Yes, sir? Well, I have a theory that though we can move from past to future, it's impossible for anything belonging in the future... The move to the past. The structure of time itself prevents that. 
I see. So if you did try to bring back any books or papers, they stayed behind. Mm, you must be right. You can't remember because nothing that you didn't take with you could come back with you, even including sensory impressions on your brain cells. The very act of returning wiped out your memories. Maybe if I went again, we could find some way around the problem. There must be some way, sir. No, Fred. I'm dropping the whole subject for the time being. I've been transferred to a new assignment, and you're coming with me. Well, what is the assignment, sir? All spaceship research is being concentrated at the new base now being developed. You and I are going out there to help develop a fuel that will take a rocket to the moon. I see. Where is the base, Professor Malcolm? Oh, someplace in the west. I believe they call it Red Rock, Arizona. Red Rock? The name seems awfully familiar to me. I wonder why. This is the mysterious traveler. Well, time travel doesn't seem to be all it's been painted. Especially if you can't remember what's happened when you get back. You aren't worried about the future, are you? You know that tonight's story couldn't possibly happen. Or could it? Oh, you have to get off now. I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at this same time. The Mysterious Traveler, on Tuned to Yesterday from April 11th, 1950, on the Mutual Network. And that wraps up this hour of sci-fi on Tuned to Yesterday. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from Radio's Golden Age. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark LeVillier. Thanks for tuning in.